0: Welcome to eAssist, Growing Your Dental
1: Business Podcast. Tune in as the experts in dental business share tips and tools to grow your practice. To learn more, visit dentalbilling.com. Please welcome our next guest.
0: Hello,
2: everyone. Welcome to the Growing Your Dental Business Podcast. Today, I'm excited to welcome David Harris, who is an embezzlement expert from ProsperaDent which is the largest firm investigating financial crimes committed against Dennis? David and I have been friends for a very long time, probably more than a decade. We were kind of just recapping how long we probably have known each other. I I think we met at SCN, maybe ADMC, but David is one of the kindest human beings I know. He's funny. He's really fun to hang out with. And I don't hang out with Canadians very often, David, but you're from Halifax, right?
1: I am from Halifax on the east coast of Canada, and as soon as I say that, Jacqueline, people have two questions, and I'll answer them for you now. Yes, I play ice hockey, and no, that's not an anterior bridge.
2: <laughs> well, and you have a son that plays hockey too, right?
1: Uh, he's more of a basketball player. He has played some ice hockey, but he's, okay. he's, a, he's a basketball and soccer player.
2: Okay, basketball and soccer. I was trying to remember which sport. I know he's very, very good at what he does.
1: Um, And and he's enormous. And, uh, you know, the day he moved out and went to college and somebody else had to feed him was uh, was was kind of a bittersweet day in our house.
2: That's nice. I know how it is when your kids are leave home and it's kind of it is it's kind of bittersweet, but it's part of life. And that's what we do. We raise these independent kids to grow up and go out into the world. Right.
1: Exactly. And he was certainly ready.
2: That's good. Well, let's talk a little bit about what you do. So you're a licensed private investigator, a forensic certified public accountant, as well as a certified fraud examiner. So I have to say you do have the coolest job in dentistry.
1: Well, it's got its moments, Uh, you know, and everybody says, tell me the weirdest embezzlement story that you have, or uh, tell me, you know, tell me something really Egregious that happens sometime and I'll, I'll, I'll throw in a couple. Um, One of the, one of the the funniest moments for me was I got a call. Oh gosh, we're going back six or seven years, probably. Um, This was an orthodontist on the East coast. He practiced with another orthodontist. And he said to me, we have this unwritten arrangement between ourselves where when patients pay in cash, we just put the money in our pocket. and We don't tell the IRS. Okay. Not not exactly how I'd recommend they do things, but it was the next thing that this guy said, Jacqueline, that really floored me. He said, and the reason I'm calling you, David, is that I think my partner is stealing more than I am.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: And <laughs> it, you know me and you know, it's not often I'm speechless. I just didn't know what to say next. Yeah. Um, so we, to make a very long story short, we did an investigation and he was right. Um, the kind of differential amount that his partner had taken was about $300,000. Wow. Which, you know, is big money. And? and I will say that was one of the most artistically written reports we ever did because we had to kind of dance around this elephant in the room called tax evasion.
0: Yeah, for
1: sure. Uh, but you know, the guy got all his money back. And to answer the next question, no, they're not still partners.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah,
1: for sure.
2: That's a common business thing, I think. I feel like business in general, not necessarily even dentists, but I feel like sometimes partnerships are go south.
1: They do. And, you know, a, a lot of our work, of course, is with the kind of conventional situation where you have a doctor who thinks that their office manager, or their bookkeeper, or the receptionist—you know—somebody's stealing from them, and and that's probably ninety percent of our caseload. But the other ten is doctors stealing from each other, um, and it's the one nobody wants to think about, and maybe don't even want to talk about. But yes, it happens.
0: It
2: does happen. Um, so, do you think men or women are more susceptible to stealing, or do you feel like it? In this industry, I'm guessing it's women since they're more of the office managers and the people managing the money. But
1: oh, if if you're asking who's stealing, um, yeah, the overwhelming preponderance is is female thieves. Yeah. Um, not because men don't steal, but exactly what you said. You know, the the vast majority of people in administrative positions in dental practices are female. Right. Um, but I don't think embezzlement itself um holds a gender bias in other words if you normalized it if you normalized the amount of stealing to the number of people who who occupy different positions in a dental practice i think you'd find that a male administrator has exactly the same probability of stealing as a female
0: one. yeah
2: is there a common thread as to why people steal
1: people steal for two reasons and i will uh call them need and greed and needy thieves are people who have something going on in their life that's kind of put their back against the wall financially the last call i i took before uh you and i got together today was from the wife of a dentist who um she and her husband have kind of suddenly come to the realization that their office manager probably has her hand in their cookie jar and i talked to her for about 45 minutes and one of the questions i asked her was well what do you know about the office manager's finances and she said well you know she got divorced about a year ago and um you know has told me that she's had money problems since and if if you think about the economics of divorce you start with two incomes supporting one household right then you move from there to the same two incomes supporting two households and you know two sets of property taxes and um you know two two of everything and on top of that you layer a bunch of attorney bills so that's a case where the amount of income that used to keep a family afloat won't anymore right. and unless people make lifestyle changes that sometimes they do and sometimes they don't unless that happens there's going to be financial strain and you know you can you can cover it for a while i mean you can dip into savings you can uh run your credit cards up you can borrow from friends but eventually when you do all those things you hit a wall and some of the people who hit that wall not all but some of the people who hit that wall think that the way out is to steal money from their doctor Uh, and that's what it looks like is going on here so the first group is needy the second group i call greedy and greedy thieves, they're wired a little bit differently. They think that society's not rewarding them properly. And
0: they feel entitled. You
1: know, they covet, they feel entitled. Yeah, very good, very good description.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they steal what they think they should be paid in the first place. Got um, it. Classic greedy thief um, worked in a practice in Texas. She took it for $413,000. Wow. And she would do things like take a limousine to church. Oh. Or officially her pay was about $60,000 a year. She would buy front row concert tickets. So she plunked down $8,000 to see Beyonce and sit in the front row. Wow. And it's ego driven. Yeah. What this person really wanted was for her friends to be 412 rows back and see her sitting there in the front row and say, wow, you know, she's got her act together. Um, These people are are, um, often they're narcissists and they kind of have this ego deficit and they try to fill it with money. Yeah,
2: that makes sense. That makes total sense. So one of the things that caught my attention when I was reading your bio is that you have the ability to understand the criminal thought process. How is it that you think like a criminal, David?
1: (laughs) You mean how did I get there? Um, Yes. Yeah, I got in a little trouble in my teens. Um, (laughs) The um, police were starting to show up at my parents house a lot. Um, Eventually, I got offered a choice of wardrobe and uh, the the color choices presented to me were green and orange. Uh, Orange is what you wear in prison and green, of course, is the color of the army. Uh, So I chose green, but (laughs) Um, I I never really lost the way to think like a criminal and just to bring our audience into the conversation, um, criminals just process differently than everybody else does. And the best example I can give you, and and I'm very conscious here that I am talking to one of the most honest, straight-laced people I have ever met in my life.
0: Well, I
1: do not I I, I do know. Um, Jacqueline, if you were walking down the... The street in your town and somebody's wallet fell out of their pants um i can predict exactly what you would do you would stoop down pick up the wallet walk a little faster and give it back to somebody who dropped it and say here i think this fell out of your pocket and that would be the the, the extent of your thought process a criminal might end up doing the same thing i mean they may end up giving the wallet back but On the way to giving it back, some things are going to go through their mind that I'm very sure would not go through Jacqueline Hurley's. (laughs) Like, I wonder how much money is in this wallet. Yeah. Um, I wonder if anybody else saw the wallet fall. In, In other words, the questions they're asking themselves are how much could I profit from not doing what I'm supposed to? And what are the chances that I'd get away with it? And if they like the answers to those two questions, then the wallet never makes it back to the owner. Yeah. If, if if they don't like the answers to those questions, then they just give the wallet back and say, "Here, you drop this."
2: Well, you're right. I don't think I, those questions would go through my mind. I I, I
1: I know you well, and I can't imagine that the, that you would think of either of those things. But that's kind of the difference between how somebody with a lot of integrity thinks versus somebody who has none. You know, do I do I have the opportunity to profit here, and do I have a reasonable chance of getting away with it?
2: yeah well good for you well i i'm glad you chose green (laughs) sounds like the the army might have saved you
1: (laughs) i think i think it did
2: (laughs) that's good because i know you're very i just know you're a very successful businessman and you've got an incredible company and an incredible family so you're doing good you're doing good you did good by choosing green
1: thank you and you, you you mentioned my company can we uh talk about them for a minute
0: absolutely let's talk about Uh, it
1: so we i i I started this all on my own and it it happened when a guy i'd been in high school with um, who is now a dentist had a problem and he reached out to me and i helped him and it all kind of unfolded from there um and initially i was doing this on my own but eventually the company grew i'm pleased to say we're now about 25 people Uh, We just finished every two years, we all get together and we just finished that the week before last. So we spent two days together and really what we're trying to do is uh, advance the the state of the art in embezzlement investigation further than it was before. And I I think we did that all of our people, other than a few support staff come from a dental background because dentistry is all we do. So uh, we have some of them used to be dentists. um, we we have a mutual friend named Amber Weber Gonzalez who yeah. uh, used to be a dental hygienist before she found embezzlement investigation and and um, the rest were office managers or software trainers or consultants. So dentistry is kind of the the commonality that we all have.
2: That's wonderful. And,
1: yeah, and when we hire these people, we look for one thing, and it's the thing we just talked about: can they get inside a thief's decision circle? Can they? Think like a criminal. Can they hypothesize? You know, if I were going to steal in this situation, this is how I would do it. Yeah. Good. Good yeah. investigators will will build a hypothesis and then and then go and either validate or reject it. And um, some some of my people are just uh, spooky at how well they can they can hypothesize.
2: So what you're telling me is you'd probably never hire me since I didn't. I don't really think like a criminal. <laughs>
1: well you know you 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 have lots of other talents and I'm sure if you if if you ever really wanted to uh be at prosperity we'd we'd find a use for it for you in our marketing or our our communications group but uh as an investigator yeah i think you'd i think you'd struggle
2: i think I would too however, I would love working with you, but I do love my job, so I guess we better stay where we're at. <laughs> So over the so I love hearing your story about your team and about how you've built this business. And you talked a little bit about and those partners who you were kind of shocked. Is there anything else you can think of that has shocked you, like over the last year, in an um, embezzlement situation?
1: Oh, oh yeah, um, I, I mean I mentioned divorce as as kind of a cause of of a staff member. Yeah. Embezzling. Uh, let's talk about one of the other elephants in the room. Okay. Um, which is that, you know, a lot of dentists are blessed to have their spouse uh, working with them as their office manager or or chief operating officer or something like that. Yeah. And it works really well until that spouse decides to get divorced.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, And you can picture the conversation. So let's say you're a dentist and I'm I'm your spouse and I'm your office manager. And I've decided, Jacqueline, that I'm going to trade you in on a different model. (laughs) Um, And I go see one of those horrible creatures called a divorce attorney. And the divorce attorney will ask me some discovery questions. And one of the questions will be, well, David, where does your income come from? Oh, well, I manage the office of of my wife, Dr. Hurley. Okay, so David, what do you think is going to happen when you tell um, your wife that uh, you're, you're leaving her? And my, you know, my first answer is going to be, well, I'll make a point of doing it when there are no sharp objects in easy reach. Um, But he says, that's not quite what I'm getting at. Um, Where's your money going to come from? I mean, do you really expect her to keep you on the payroll when, um, you know, you suddenly have a Tinder profile? (laughs) Yeah. And uh, my answer will be, well, no, I guess not. And the lawyer is going to say to me, "Okay, David, I'm not going to tell you how to do this, but I'm going to tell you what you have to do. You need money under the mattress, because when you tell Jacqueline that you're leaving her, she's going to fire you. And, you know, eventually there will be spousal support and child support if you have kids arrangements made, but that'll take a little while. And while all that's going on, you need to find a new place to live. You need to buy groceries. and." not exactly least important you need to pay me your divorce lawyer so you've got to put some money aside sure and i've i've had to break the fact to a number of dentists that they probably don't realize it yet but their marriage is about to end
2: yeah that's unfortunate isn't it that's that's a hard situation when your personal life is so in tied into your business life that's that gets creates a crazy scenario right there.
1: It absolutely does. And I would never say to any dentist don't, or, or dental spouse, you know, don't, don't work with your spouse. There, there are lots of, and I'm I'm sure you've encountered them too. I mean, there are highly productive, highly functional, uh, dental couples out there, Sure.
0: Um,
1: but it, it works in part because their economic interests are parallel Yeah. until they're not.
0: Right.
2: Well, and that's, that's in any marriage in general. (laughs) It It, works
0: if you're, it it, it is the
1: the difference is, you know, my spouse has a different career. So if, if one of us decided we were going to end things, then, uh, it doesn't really affect the livelihood of the other. Right. Um, but you know, that, that couple who, who work together, um, you know, in, in dentistry or anywhere else, yeah, there's a, you know, they're, they're, as I say, they're, they're doing things under the assumption that their economic interests are parallel. Suddenly they're not. Put another way, the, the, the safeguards, and we're, we're probably going to talk about controls in a minute that a dental practice should have. I mean, nobody would think of applying those controls against their spouse.
2: Well, let's talk about that. I'm,
1: I'm going to now um, do that thing I do where I, where I think like an embezzler and I, and I, I tell um, your audience, how I would size up their practice if I were working there. And the first question I ask is really simple. Um, you know, let's assume I'm now the office manager for Dr. Hurley. We're not married. Um, and and I, I wake up one morning and decide to steal. The first question I'm going to ask is this, you know, um, Jacqueline has practice management software and it tracks how much she bills each day, what the adjustments are and what her collections are that day. And in the really simple world, those collections would equal bank deposits. Right. So one of the first questions I ask is, well, does Jacqueline monitor this? I mean, does she know how much money should be going in the bank according to her software? And if the answer to that is no, and I'm going to say that's probably the case in 85% of practices that we work with. Yeah. The doctor really doesn't monitor that at all. If that's the case, you've made stealing really easy for me. I don't have to do anything creative in your software at all. I can simply divert some of the deposit each day to my stealing and you just don't know how. So so your practice collects $27,200 today. Let's say you you try to protect yourself by making the deposits yourself, but you don't relate the amount you're taking to the bank back to software. If I give you $26,400 instead, I just stole $800. That's yeah. that's kind of the way it works. So the first rule is that there needs to be oversight. Um, you, you can't have, if you're a dentist, if you're a practice owner, you can't have an unsupervised employee. There needs to be oversight. What makes the oversight of that really hard is that, um, you know, it used to be simple. When I started 34 years ago, um, the, The dentist, the first dentist I investigated got paid by cash or check. There were no credit card payments. There were no electronic funds transfers. It was cash or check. Yeah. So he carried the whole deposit to the bank each day. And for him to compare the deposit to what his, this was before there was practice management software. It was the old pegboard system that people used to use back then. Yeah. If he compared his, his pegboard receipts with his bank deposit, they would. Normally be equal.
0: Right. It was
2: Um, easy. It was much easier, much easier world back then.
1: It was a much easier world. And what complicates the world now is that in a lot of cases, there's a time offset between when something's recognized by practice management software and when it goes in the bank. So if a patient pays Dr. Hurley by credit card today, um, the practice management software treats that as a payment today, but it won't hit your bank for probably two or three more days right two or three days you're you're until it catches up um your stuff looks out of balance correct and it's complicated and a lot of dentists have just kind of checked out of this and said you know i'm just i'm I'm gonna either trust my office manager or just hope for the best
2: Uh, yeah or they could I guess I could outsource to a third-party dental billing company. <laughs>
1: uh, well, now you're now you're getting somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. The the other thing, though, that whether it's a dental billing company doing it or, or the doctor trying to check this themselves, the other thing that can be done that makes life a whole lot easier is let's not try to do this at the end of each day. Let's look at a month at a time. And what happens if you look at a month at, at once is that a lot of those uh, timing difference is kind of self-correct. Right. In, in other words, now what's putting you out of balance is only the stuff that overhangs the first day of the month and the stuff that is, is incomplete on the last day of the month. Right. In other words, if you look at one day, you might have 80% of your money coming in having some kind of timing offset. If you look at a month as a whole, it might be 4%. Yeah. So, you know, the the do- the missing dollars that you're chasing in proportion are a whole lot smaller. Right. So yes, uh, we, I think we agree that you need oversight and uh, thank you for mentioning outsourcing because that is a great way to do it. I mean, this, this is a mechanical calculation. It does not require somebody to go to dental school first to do that calculation.
0: Sure.
1: But if you don't do it, if, if you don't reconcile deposits versus collections, The dumbest laziest thief on the planet can successfully steal from you yeah exactly Um, and i've seen some people who probably came pretty close to that description um if you do that reconciliation or it's done for you um now i can still steal but it's a lot tougher because what i have to do now is i have to make your software lie about how much money was collected and just because we never know quite who's watching this I'm not gonna I'm not going to get into a whole lot of detail but what what I'll say is it's it's harder than just diverting some of the deposit but it's not that hard for somebody to trick some some very expensive software yeah got it um, and, and we see lots of that um, but let's let's make it so that that bottom quartile of thieves at least can't think about how to do this
2: <laughs> yeah because um, I would have no idea how to
1: do that <laughs> that's okay. Um, a, another uh, part of the control system uh, should be articulation. And I'm not talking here about the friendship that the mandible has with the maxilla. That's, that's dental articulation. What I'm talking about is financial articulation, but the, the underlying thought's the same. If your office was open 20 days this month, and in your left hand, you have 20 day end reports, and in your right hand, you have a month end summary, then the total for fees adjustments and payments of the 20 individual reports should be exactly the same as the one month end report. Right. If they're not, somebody came into your practice after hours and they did some stuff they didn't want you to see. Got it. Um, so that's, that's the second control that's a really good one. And again, mechanical. I, I don't know if that's something ESS would do for somebody. I, I suspect it is. Um, if not, it should be on the list Yeah. Um, or, you know, alternatively, if you have a kid in college who wants to earn beer money, um, that's, uh, you know, paying them to do it would be, would be a decent solution as well. Right. But, but deposits equal to collections and number of number of day sheets for the month equals the month in total are two easy things to do. Um. I'll mention another control that's that's um, lacking in most offices that I look at. Sure. Um, if you put 30 dentists or 100 dentists in a room and you ask them, okay, can I please see a show of hands of how many of you like hiring staff? Um, typically, no hands go up.
0: Right.
1: They don't Dentists like dis- despise it. The only thing they hate more than hiring staff, of course, is firing them. Right. But. Hiring is kind of a daunting process, you know, you might start with uh, if you're lucky, you might get 10 or 15 applications when you post a job. And from those, you've got to get down to that one perfect person, uh, you know, who's going to reflect the office culture, who's going to be able to have the technical skills that you need, who's going to have the personality that they fit in with the rest of your team. I mean, it's a lot to ask for. And what often gets squeezed out somehow is that one final layer, which is, well, what if what they're telling me
0: isn't totally true? Yeah.
1: That one is is the one that tends to get kind of sacrificed in the the rush to find the other things.
2: Right. You don't know if they're being honest or not. You're questioning.
1: You have to be a little bit skeptical. Um, I'm going to give you a really sobering statistic. So 70 million Americans, which is one in four adults, has a criminal record.
2: One in four.
1: Wow.
2: That is staggering.
1: It's a lot. And yet more, less than 50% of dental practices do criminal records check as as part of their their pre-employment screening.
2: So that's a huge thing that they can do just right from the get-go.
1: And and what I'll say is that not every criminal record would stop me from hiring somebody. Yeah. Um, In other words, we need to be a little bit interpretive. You know, we're looking at hiring somebody and 20 years ago when they were in college, they got arrested for marijuana possession. You know, that probably wouldn't stop me from hiring them today. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, check fraud three years ago. Yeah, that's a that's a total showstopper.
0: Wow. Yeah, I totally get that for
2: sure. Well, that's um, a good one with those statistics. Yeah. That's a really important one. And I hope Dennis and that are listening today are thinking um, I probably should be doing that.
1: Yeah. And that's not a complete pre-employment screening. There are a lot of other elements. For example, we need to talk to former employers. Yeah. And I'll give your audience a really simple rule. You need to talk to everybody that this person has worked for, for at least the past five years.
0: That's bearing in mind,
1: Jacqueline, that, you know, if, if I'm applying for a job with you and I have something to hide, I'm going to go to a lot of gyrations to prevent you from having that conversation with a former employer who I think is going to say bad things about me. Right. Uh, So how do I do that? How do I hide baggage? Um, One trick is I'll, I'll, I'll give you what you think is my former employer's cell phone number. And when you call that number, you're actually talking to my uncle. Got it. Who will pretend to be my former employer and give me a good reference. So one of our rules is don't ever call any number that an applicant gives you. If they say they work for Mark Johnson in, in uh, Peoria, Illinois, go online. You know, Google's really cheap to use. Find Dr. Johnson's number, office number, call that. And then, you know, you're speaking to the former employer. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's great. Um, another thing I might do to hide baggage is pretend to be out of the workforce. So rather than giving you Dr. Johnson's information, I'll say I was traveling through Europe.
0: Um, the, the way to handle that, or
1: I was out of the workforce because I was uh, home with my kids. Right. Yeah. Um,
0: so how did you handle that?
1: Well, if it was the traveling through Europe, my response would be very simple. Great. I just need you to bring in your passport because there will be entry and exit stamps from, from when, uh, when somebody went there.
0: Absolutely.
1: And yeah. you say that and somebody says, well, I lost my passport. Okay, now the hair on the back of my neck is starting to stick up.
2: Your red flags are there.
1: Yeah. And, and my response would be okay. So when you lose your passport, there's like that seven page form with the State Department you have to fill in. You know, just bring that in. And they say, oh, I lost that too. And at that point, I have a crystal clear picture of what I'm about to lose when I hire them. It's called money. Yeah. Um, That's good. Let's say be- somebody was home with kids. How do we? How do we work that one out, right? There's a tax return that shows that you didn't earn income at that, at that period. Right. Uh, there's unemployment paperwork. You know, there, there are things people could bring in. Um, what I suggest to Dennis, and I think how you verbalize these requests is really important. Um, and what will take you a long way when you're asking for something like a passport or a tax return or unemployment paperwork is it is our policy that an absence from the workforce for more than a month needs to be substantiated. Not that, you know, I don't believe you, but it's our policy. Yeah. Uh, In other words, when you're asking for this stuff from an applicant, make it clear to them that you would ask this from any applicant. And that's a way of minimizing the personalization of this.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's
2: good. Those are all great tips, I feel like. Dennis should be listening to this. Any business owner should be listening to this. Anyone who hires should be listening.
1: Yeah, they should. It's. It's. You're right. It's no different if you own a gas station. But um, let's face it. Dentistry is a personal service. I mean, we um, handle money. We have access to very personal information about people.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, so you, some of your staff will be alone, unsupervised with their kids. You know, aren't you a little interested in whether they... ever convicted of child molestation
0: right for sure
1: yeah it's it's uh you know it's 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 a service where you touch people you do invasive things and you handle money and sensitive information so um so you you know know.
2: you want to feel secure in who you're hiring and there's so much you know there's a lot that can happen behind the scenes
1: dentistry's allowed itself to get out of step with how the rest of america hires and I will go more, through more scrutiny. To get a job with Amazon delivering the junk people buy online. than I will to get a job in most dental practices, and that makes no sense. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll take it one step further. It absolutely astounds me that the norm in dentistry is that that applicants aren't subject to a drug test. Which is one of those things Amazon would do. Yeah. Um, And they don't, you know, they don't hold the keys to the pharmacy in the way that a dental practice does.
2: It's true. It's true. I, you know, I was offered a job in a dental office once. You were. Said you just seemed like you'd be a good fit to our office. Why don't you come work for us? And I, it didn't work out for me. But my daughter actually is the office manager at a pediatric office, and she she kind of took over from a gal who had went on maternity leave, and then when the gal was done she wanted to come back and the, and I, and the doctor just said, you know, honestly, I feel like I want you both overseeing everything so that we have checks and balances here. And it's been, and at first she was like, I hope she's okay that I'm still in this role. But as soon as they learned how to work together and, and, and they would call each other out on things, you know, why did you write off this large amount? Or why did you do this? Or why did you do that? And they have a good enough relationship that it's worked out really successful for them.
1: That's great. And um, we had talked earlier about a a mutual friend named Amber Weber-Gonzalez. Amber, I I shouldn't assume people know who she is. She's a department head at at Prosperity. So she's one of our our senior people. And she said something once that always stuck with me. She said, um, transparency is one of the first casualties of embezzlement. In other words, when people are are stealing, one of the things they do is they stop being transparent. And what you just described between your daughter and her coworker is a culture of transparency where, you know, I'm I'm looking at what you do and I have have full license to question it. And you're going to answer, you know, if if when that woman had come on, come back from maternity leave, she had given her doctor a lot of vibes about, you know, I don't want Jacqueline's daughter working with me. Right. Um, you know, but that would be a situation where suddenly I'd be alarmed. Right. So we, we kind of arrived nicely at the point where we should probably talk about some some warning signs and you know cool. what? Um, yeah,
0: let's, let's talk about that.
1: What what would alert a doctor to the fact that they might have a problem? And we just hit on one, which is lack of transparency. And I'll maybe abstract that into something a little bit bigger. Um, one of the the, the key concerning indicators in a practice is territoriality. So you have somebody typically in a leadership position who is really possessive about their duties. They don't want to cross train anybody to do any part of what they do. They don't want to offload, you know, they can be run off their feet, but they, they won't offload anything to anybody. Yeah. Um, that's, a, that's a pretty strong embezzlement marker. And that, that kind of possessiveness is found in more than 50% of embezzlements.
2: Wow, that's a- um, it,
1: it. Can even extend to things like somebody's computer, or their their desk. Um, I got a call a while ago from from a doctor who said, "Yeah, my office manager was at lunch. Um, we had uh, an extra person in the office, and they had nowhere to work, so they kind of plunked themselves down at the office manager desk and were using her computer when she came back from lunch, and she lost it." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is 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 that something I should be worried about? And I said, yeah, that's a, to me, that's an overreaction.
0: For um, sure.
1: You know, if, if, if I, if it really bothered me, I would probably just take the doctor aside and say, you know, my personal stuff's in the desk. You know, I've got a few, few things, you know, I, I use the computer to get my personal email as well as the business stuff. You know, I would prefer if you didn't just kind of hand somebody my desk without checking. But her reaction was way over the top and and um, yeah, it was, it was concerning.
0: So she had
2: something to hide, obviously.
1: <laughs> yeah. And even if she didn't, it's, it's just that control thing. Yeah. You know, this is my desk and my computer. No. Uh, you know, they actually belong to the practice and the doctor put them there for you to use, you know, they're hers. Right. right. But, yeah. You know,
0: that's a good, that's a good proprietary.
1: Like- yeah, it is um other symptoms i mean we we talked about some of the behavioral things earlier you know that ego deficit um of course financial difficulties can can push somebody into embezzlement right Um, some other things that we might see um concern about outside advisors and you guys run into this you know we get we get calls from from e-assist uh team members with some regularity And what they're dealing with is somebody in an office who would really rather not have the assist there. Yeah, Um, because that's a, you know, that's a type of oversight. And um, it also is a form of offloading. Why don't people want to delegate when they're stealing? Because they have to have a certain number of pieces lined up. And as as soon as you take one of those away, it might become harder to steal you know the method they're using now might not work anymore. right um, when I, When I talk about people's duties in a practice, I say there are, there are five functions that have to happen before a dentist gets paid. The first is that somebody has to enter treatment into practice management software, and my unvarying recommendation is that's a clinical responsibility. That's not something that should be done in a front desk. So Doctor, assistant, hygienist should be entering treatment. Never never front desk. So treatment gets entered, and then you have four more things that happen. Somebody receives the payment. Somebody records it in practice management software. Somebody balances collections to deposits, and somebody makes the deposit. So you've got receive, record, balance, deposit. Right. And my unvarying advice to a practice owner is Nobody should do more than two of those, and the two shouldn't be consecutive. Oh, that's so, good advice. Whoever receives, shouldn't record. It. Whoever balances, shouldn't deposit. It. Yeah. Uh, and and the, the thing I like about e is you guys step right in the middle of that. We do. Uh, because you record. It. Right. And uh, instantly, that that takes everybody's security up a lot.
0: Yeah, I think
2: and and I know I've seen, you know, some of our success consultants concerned, you know, they've come across a practice that they're concerned with on how they're handling the money or the
1: finances. And yeah, and a lot of times it's the pushback they're getting from the office manager. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and if, if I'm a salaried office manager and uh, my doctor comes to me and says, you know what, David, I, I know you're struggling to stay on top of the workflow right now, and I'm going to get you some help. I'm going to, you know, Assist is going to take over a couple of your functions, but, you know, it's not like I'm going to take what I pay them out of your compensation. Right. You're still going to get paid the same. I mean, the rational employee at that point says, that's great. You For know, sure. I've got, I've got some projects that I just couldn't quite get to, uh, because I'm buried under the day-to-day stuff. And, you know, there are, There are some things I need to do, and this will free me up to do them.
0: this
1: this should be a positive. Um, When I say, well, no, you know, actually, I I don't really trust the assist. I think they're only going to screw it up. I'm the only person who can do this. Right. Mm -hmm. That's a little less rational.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, for sure. That's that is the red flag for sure. How many dentists do you think are affected by embezzlement each year?
1: Um, numerically, it's around eight to 10,000 dentists in the United States.
0: Wow.
1: Um, the chance of a dentist getting stolen from in their lifetime is probably about 70%. Wow,
2: that's, that's high. That's a high number.
1: It, it, it's not something that people can say, you know, this affects a small fringe of the dental population. This is a mainstream problem.
2: Yeah, it is. It's absolutely a mainstream problem. Well, dentists are lucky to have you. I'm excited to share your contact information today, David. Um, The best way to get a hold of you, you said you you were telling me before we started that individuals could call in, doctors could call in if they're concerned, talk to your team. That that number is 888-398-2327. Or they're welcome to come to your website, which is www.prosperaDent, which is behind your head there.com. Did you have anything else that you want to add, parting thoughts before we wrap up today, David?
1: One of the biggest emotions I get from doctors when they call me is regret that the symptoms have been there for six months or nine months or five years and they didn't deal with them. Mm -hmm. I am always happy to have a, a confidential, no obligation conversation with any dentist who is worried about their practice um what we also didn't talk about because so far we've been we've been talking about the problem and and um maybe some symptoms I, i want to mention to the audience that we do investigations which is a big part of what we do and that's where we're looking in the past to see what has happened in your practice um but it's just like dentistry if you want to spend the least money in your lifetime on your teeth. What your dentist is going to say is get to be really good friends with your toothbrush and your dental floss okay, sure. and come in to see us every six months for, for a cleaning and a checkup um, because prevention is cheaper and, and, and less invasive than dealing with your mouth if you neglect it. Right. And I'll say exactly the same thing here. We offer a great service called owner proactive strategies, where we help dentists put the systems in place that will protect them. That's and great. It is so much cheaper and, and and involves so much less stomach lining to do that than to call us after it's happened and have us go around with the broom and the dustpan and try to clean up the mess.
0: Well,
2: that's great. I didn't realize you had that form to help them prevent a prevention system in place. That's great. I think any dentist would want to take advantage of that.
1: Well, again, you can you can brush and floss or you can deal with root counts you can put, you yeah. can put systems in place or you can you can have your office be a major crime scene.
2: Well, I'm sure you've you've worked with both offices, those who need preventing and those who have major crime scenes. We sure have. Well, thank you for joining us today. I'm going to give those, those numbers one more time. You can call 888-398-2327 to talk to David and just like you said, it's a confidential conversation just to see where you're at and how you're feeling about things. Or you can just go to their website at www.prosperident.com. And just so you know, our goal with this podcast is to offer tips and tricks to help grow your dental business. And I can assure you that David will help you do that. So thank you, David, for joining us today.
1: Well, thank you, Jacqueline, for your friendship and, and the, the, the wonderful folks at Assist who we've been privileged to work with for many years.
2: Oh, you're welcome. We love working with you, too.
1: The purpose of this podcast is to interview the consultants within our eAssist Consultant Network. This podcast is for informational purposes only. For more details, please visit the homepage of this podcast platform at dentalbilling.com. Thanks for listening.